Hi. Okay. <laughs> so I literally used to be anxious 80, 90% of the time. I wasn't able to be in a romantic relationship, at least in person, for like more than five or six months. And I was kind of in this perpetual state of burnout until I found this somatic, these somatic tools. I started applying them to my own life. They were so life-changing that I got certified in it. And I'm kind of obsessed because now, you know, I'm probably still anxious 20, 30% of the time, but I I know what to do and my capacity to feel it and not get overwhelmed is just so different. Um, I'm in a 2.5 plus and counting amazing romantic relationship. I still sometimes go into burnout, but it's so much less like somatics fucking changed my life. <laughs> so I'm obsessed with it and I'm an evangelist. I even when I like before I was certified, I was like telling everyone to go do core energetics, which is the kind of somatics I'm certified in. And I want to get it into the hands of as many people as possible because it was so life-changing for me. So the program I studied in is a four-year program and still exists. There's one in New York. There's one that I get to teach in and help out at in Montreal, the Montreal Institute of Core Energetics. But for coaches, healers, therapists, folks who want to add some advanced somatic tools to your repertoire, but you don't necessarily want to do a a full year, a four-year program, I am introducing the Advanced Somatic Technique Certification. (laughs) Um, It's a six-month program where you'll learn these tools, you'll, you'll get them into your own cells, because the best way to learn these techniques is to get them into your own cells, but you'll also learn how to apply them for clients, they're super effective for anxiety. You can even work with trauma without talking about the trauma um, because it's stored in our cells and our nervous system. So you will get everything you need to start using them with your clients. So if you're interested in that, be sure to head over to brinbamber.com and you'll learn everything you need to know. Okay. Sending you all the best vibes, and let's get into the episode. Welcome to the Trauma-Informed Witch Podcast, where we'll talk about patriarchy, mental health, creating money and abundance, and how to live a life that feels rich and that is rich. Let's go. Right, everyone. I am super excited to have Dr. Sunny Smith with me on the podcast. And she's a phys- physician and she's a life coach. And she's going to talk about both of those things, I think, today. Um, but I'll start by just asking you to introduce yourself and maybe how your story of how you 
came to life coaching because it's such an incredible story. <laughs> Thank you. First of all, it is lovely, lovely, lovely to be here and to be invited and to talk to your people. So thank you for doing that. Um, and thank you for the work you're doing. I think the more of us speaking our voices, the more impact in the world and kind of our unique lived stories and being our real authentic selves, which you are an example of. And so I will tell you, you know, my real lived journey, which is um, I was a traditional family physician and I ran a free clinic for my whole career. I helped start a free clinic as a first year medical student in 97. So that's now like 25 years ago. <laughs> so I've always been a very mission driven about healing, um, about social justice, about doing good in the world. And in medicine, we have this sort of culture of overworking at all times and sacrificing ourselves for others. And so I, of course, fell um, into that. And so I was working incredibly hard and um, for decades. And I knew nothing of coaching. I was doing like well-being and advising and mentoring of medical students and people up and coming. Um, so in hindsight, there was like a bit of, you know, the coaching-ish type of stuff happening. But I fell into it like many of us do in that we fell into it for ourselves. Like we discovered the tool for ourselves. We applied it to our own lives and we're like, holy crap. This is one of the most powerful things I've ever discovered, even though I've already like I trained for 11 years to become a physician. I have all kinds of tools in my toolbox. I have antidepressants I can prescribe. I have referrals I can make all of these things. But once I brought and I had even utilized all those things myself as a patient. Right. But once I brought life coaching into helping me as a human being, like everything changed, honestly, everything changed. So in 2017, which is now five years ago. I had a bicycle accident um, and I happened to be in Tahiti. I was going down a mountain. It was Mother's Day on a bicycle. The bike was malfunctioning. So I went over the handlebars. I smashed in my face. I smashed up my arms. I got a head injury. And um, so I couldn't stand. I couldn't feed myself. I couldn't um, dress myself, shower myself, care for myself. I certainly couldn't work. All the things I thought were a must do like writing letters of recommendation and doing grades and seeing patients and driving my kid to preschool. Every single thing that was a must do that I was totally burdening, burdening myself with, I was completely unable to do, completely unable. And guess what? The world kept spinning, right? <laughs> <laughs> like we think we're so important and like we have to do these right. things. I guarantee the world will go on without you no matter what you stop doing. So you get to stop doing things. And so at that time um, in a physician group, it's called Physician Moms Group, people had recommended that I listen to something called the Life Coach School podcast. I had never listened to a podcast. I didn't know what podcasts were. Um, I didn't know I had the thing on my phone. And so I couldn't use my arms at all because both my arms were like literally in full arm cast. So my husband pressed on my phone to listen to Life Coach School podcast starting at episode one. And he put earbuds in my ears and I laid there because I couldn't stand or do anything. I just laid there for weeks to months and listened to every single episode. And then as soon as she talked about joining the scholars program, I joined. And then as soon as she talked about becoming a coach and training to be a coach, I opted into the very next time because I learned that I couldn't, when I couldn't change the circumstance, like broken arms, can't stand, can't do care for yourself. 
I could either be like, woe is me, which I was and resenting, or eventually I could be like, okay, well, this is the circumstance right now. So how can I change the way I'm looking at this? How is this happening for me? How is this like the universe delivered this to me as a gift? Because I really needed to slow down. I really needed to question the sort of indoctrination that I had had in my mm. life, in my medical culture, the sort of, again, self-sacrifice. There's just like a learned helplessness we have in the world, but it has been learned. Like we are not helpless and we get to unlearn that. So for me, coaching became incredibly powerful for that, realizing I had agency and choice and I could go back to whatever I wanted and drop whatever I wanted. And then I learned I could put anything I want in the results line. And I just set out to do that over and over and over again. And so fast forward, now I run a multi-million dollar comprehensive coaching program for women physicians by women physicians that is incredibly meaningful, impactful. And we have data that we are submitting to journals that shows that this truly works. It truly works. It's not woo. (laughs) It's not like out there, whatever, like this work matters, whether, Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, woo, by the way, is just right brain, right? Or forces of the universe, all the things there is no such thing. So that was sort of a long answer to your question. But I think like many people who are coaches, we fell into it ourselves because we needed it. We found it to be powerful. And then we kind of brought the tools into who we are as human beings, as unique individuals, and then brought them to our people. And that's what I did. Yeah. And I wanted, I told you before we started recording, I wanted the long version because it's such an incredible experience. And Actually, what comes up for me, um, one of the things that I've been working on, you know, with my clients and my community is like destroying the patriarchy. Yes. Um, Amen. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) And one of the, one of my kind of hacks right now is putting everyone on a program of 30 days of selfishness. Mm. What would you do if you were selfish? Because what I find with my clients who are often socialized as women, overachievers, parents, a lot of them are parents, that when they, they weaponize self-care against themselves. Yeah. Like if I absolutely. say do self-care, they're like, yeah, my morning routine is shit. I should really do more yoga. I should really like, then they're beating themselves up for self-care. So my kind of underneath (laughs) to get underneath is like what would you do if you were selfish what's one Mm -hmm. thing you can do because when I tell my clients to be selfish they come back to me and they're like Bryn you are going to be so proud of me I was so selfish I went to (laughs) Costco without my kids yes exactly it's like the idea in the patriarchy and indoctrination of women is like going to Costco or Target alone is indulgent. You're like, what is that about? That is so unrealistic. And it's interesting that you bring up like the self-care yoga shooting all over ourselves type of stuff, because you had mentioned, it might be interesting to talk about one of the, we have many sessions with many very special, amazing, powerful um, guests who bring so much wisdom and wisdom from feminism and wisdom from leadership and thought leadership. And we had Liz Gilbert in, and that, this is exactly one thing she talked about while she was with us was 
is that we're like shooting all over ourselves with this self-care stuff. Like we're supposed to be doing yoga every day and we're supposed to be like, that's what a, you know, person who takes care of themselves does is get massages and like do all this stuff. And the truth is self-care really, first of all, I just want to pause and say, I, it became very self-evident to me. Like there's this whole, you know, people know about the oxygen mask on yourself first thing, but I went to a conference of women physicians before I became a life coach. And the person who was speaking, her name's Dr. Jill Cruz, and she did the keynote opening. And she said something that I still remember to this day, um, that really changed the way I see things, which is, she said, what organ does the heart feed first? You know, the heart basically pumps the blood to your entire body. Without the heart, you cannot live no matter what, right? And so whatever the heart is prioritizing historically and anatomically and physiologically, that obviously teaches something about what it takes to keep the organism alive. And so all of us were like, uh, I mean, we're a room full of doctors and we were thinking, (laughs) (laughs) I, we were like, um, the aorta, the lungs, the pulmonary, the subclavian artery that like, we were thinking through all the anatomy, of course, the cardiologist knew the answer, but the rest of us were like, just racking our brains. And the answer is so self-evident and obvious and the key to self-care, which is the heart feeds itself first. So the oxygenated blood that comes out of the heart before it goes anywhere else goes to the coronary arteries, which are the arteries that feed the heart. So if the heart of all organisms on the planet that have hearts have evolved to feed themselves first I'm like oh my god for some reason that just like landed in my body and I was like it's not selfish to feed yourself first because if you don't even if you're having a stroke or if your kidneys are failing or if you have COVID or whatever the thing is there is no circumstance in which the heart doesn't feed itself first right it's not like oh you're having a Stroke. Right. Let's right. feed the brain. Let's feed the brain first, right? Because I think ah. we, as as women in particular, are like, oh no, well I'll take care for myself first, except when, or oh right, this right, thing right, is right, coming right, up. Right. So it's like, no, no, this is a non-negotiable with the heart. It will never, ever, ever stop. And if it does stop, the organism dies, right? So I think in terms of self-care, that was really, really helpful for me. And so I brought that construct with me. And I think the thing is, like. Self-care isn't necessarily about yoga and, and these, like, like I came to a hotel right now, right. As you know, for, for like a self-care because my birthday is coming and, but like, it's not really this, that is really self-care. What self-care is, is setting up a life that is completely sustainable and that feeds your soul and boundaries where you say no all the time and where you speak your voice and stop caring what other people think. Like that's self-care. And then eventually you're like, yeah. And because I don't care what other people think, I'm going to do some yoga and do some this and that. But it's like, we use the, we're not doing quote unquote self-care as something to beat ourselves up with. Like if I were better, I would go on walks. Yeah. And the the solution to my exhaustion is to put more things on my calendar. Like yoga. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like I, yeah, I had a client too recently where they were like, 
I procrastinate, da, da, da. And I was like, okay, well, what do you do? And we looked at all the things they're doing. And it was like, oh, there are too many things. Yes. It's so self-care. Because you are like doing, you're like, you know, teaching your kid in school. You're basically homeschooling your kid because of these circumstances. And you're working a full-time job and you're cleaning the house and you're cooking. You know, it's like, that you're not procrastinating. You just have, there are only so many hours in the day. Yeah. You need to just take things off your plate, not have a better morning routine or right. be more That's organized a- or whatever yeah. we yeah. beat ourselves up with, which I think, you and know, so, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to, I'm sorry. I have a hard time interrupting, but, um, I think that sometimes people will think of coaching as another thing to add on, which I think is a complete fallacy because what we do in that say one hour or period of time is we empower you with that one hour period of time that you spend with us to be like, take that stuff off your plate. Like, or they get to decide what doesn't belong and they get back so much time and so much power and so much freedom that coaching is never adding something on. It's the most powerful tool. And again, I work with ICU doctors, ER doctors in the middle of a pandemic. Like I work with people who work 80 hours a week. And so, and I have a pretty immersive intensive program and it is the best investment of their time and money by far. It pays back literally years later. We just had people posting randomly randomly like I didn't even solicit this but just in their like you know new years when people are kind of reflecting on the year so many people talked about how their life completely changed in all these ways that they talked about because at some point in their life they signed up for my coaching program and it could have been like a year ago or two years ago but when they looked back on 2021 they were like I got a raise I started working part-time I no longer worry what my mother-in-law thinks I And so in terms of self-care, it's like, that really is, it's like listening to yourself and your intuition and what you want and what you don't want and stop doing the things that don't light you up. Like just stop it. (laughs) Let them go. That is self-care. Yeah. Yeah. And hire somebody or negotiate with your partner or whatever, you know, there are so many ways, but yeah, for my clients that are parents, it's like, Mm -hmm. well, a good mom makes all oh. the homemade stuff. So oh, no, they don't. <laughs> yeah, no. So I thought your story too on that front was so impactful that it's like, yeah, you didn't drop them off at soccer oh. and you didn't cook for anybody for months. No. And you know, what's so funny is like, I'd always thought maybe it'd be nice to have help picking up the kid from preschool because as a physician, I was always like the last one to pick up the kid at preschool and I felt guilty, but I figured I would just figure it out and try and all this stuff. And it, I, I didn't realize how much distress that I had created because starting at like two or three in the afternoon, I'm starting to fall behind, for instance, at patient care at that time. And I'm thinking, Oh my God, I have to get done by five. So I can be there by six. Oh my God, it's getting to be too late. I'm running behind it. So like the ripple effect of me not deciding to just get someone to help was like taking up my whole life. And so it was so easy once, once you have to, 
right? right? You often right. have bre breakthroughs when you're at this point of incredible pain. You, then you, you're in so much pain that you have to solve the problem. But it's like the goal in part of coaching so many different goals, but is to get you to make those decisions and changes before the incredible pain. You're just like, oh, I actually could change this. And so it was so easy and so amazing and so wonderful to just have it be on someone else's mind to go pick up the kid. And it's like, honestly, not that big of a deal. And then once I already had that, I was like, and she cook it, cook dinner or play with him or what? Yeah. I'm like, oh, and it's not something for, I think there is this construct that it's for like the uber wealthy, right? right, right. To have someone pick up your child and help cook dinner. Mm -hmm. And it's really not right. It's not that much money. There's people who are very interested in having this kind of work and they're thrilled to work for you. And so you're contributing to women right and to people being able to stand yeah, on their you're own two employing feet somebody right yeah. yeah you're employing someone you're creating jobs so anyway the ripple effect of all of us staying in our zone of genius and our yeah. strengths and what we love and then we allow others to do that too like it, it empowers others to do the same and so it's win-win-win yeah. all around yeah and I I had a friend say this to me years ago and I don't have kids but you know, my clients do, people around me do, and I may at some point, but um, she said parenting to her, parenting is like not cooking or cleaning or dropping at soccer practice. Parenting is being there when her kid comes home and had a hard day and, you know, something happened with the teacher or another kid and be there to kind of talk that through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have learned with my coach, she says, she has helped me to learn that my only job as a mom or a spouse or what any of those things, but my only job is unconditional love. Yeah, that's it. So that is my most important job as a mom is unconditional love. And my most important job as a coach is unconditional love for my clients and my most important work in my relationships is unconditional love. Like that's, that's it. Everything else about what it takes to be a good quote unquote, good business owner, partner, whatever. Again, so much of this is rooted in the hundreds of years, if not thousands of years of women serving others and what we call like free labor and the expected free labor of women, right? All of the things that we right. do, but it's like that free labor is at a cost to us and what if our only job really is to just love unconditionally on the people around us and allow and including ourselves honestly and what does unconditional love for ourselves look like like what would you tell it's very I find helpful to be like what would you tell your best friend right yeah. because we we have compassion for our best friends we meet them right where they are and so really think of if your best friend was in this situation whatever the thing is how would you talk to them? What would you offer them? And then try and offer that to yourself and let everything else go. The quote unquote, good, anything, good business owner, good wife, yeah. good, whatever, like let, that's all a choice. And again, we have been indoctrinated to believe certain things. And so when we see that it's all a mental construct and that it was all made up by humans and that we get to make up our own rules, it's very freeing. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think this is so, this is so good that 
yeah, your only job is to love. If you love baking cookies, you can bake yeah. cookies. Yeah. If you don't want to, you never ever have to bake cookies to be a good parent. And and yeah, you get to to figure that out. So and yeah, you you learn part of that lesson in a intense. <laughs> yeah, but, the universe delivers what you need, right? There's that whole thing about it's like, it whispers, and then it speaks louder, and then it yells. And like, I just got hit upside the head with like, enough, you don't have to keep doing more. You you don't have to do everything yourself. Like that narrative that I had that I was the only one that could do certain things and so many things, it was just not serving me. And I mean, in the end, like, because when I had that as an intern, I actually ended up in a coma from sleep deprivation because medical training requires a lot of sleep deprivation. And so it, medical training literally almost killed me. And so, you know, we are just, again, so trained to keep giving and giving and giving and giving. It's like our engine, like all women, not just physicians, right? Um, people socialize as women, also others, but, you know, more intensely than people socialize as women. And it's like your check engine light is on and you keep driving yeah. <laughs> and you're like in the red and you keep going. And so, yeah, it just, I think that's, it was what I needed and the universe delivered right on time. And I think gave me this incredible gift such that I can continue to give it to others. Right. So good. So I want to talk more about, um, Liz Gilbert. Cause she came to your, you, you know, I like there's this arc, right. Where you, you, learned about coaching, you learned about the power of thoughts, maybe just say, you know, this isn't like a thought work only podcast. So maybe just say a little bit about um, the, the tools that you use to create this life now where mm. you, you know, have this yeah. business and, and life. An impact, I think more importantly too, right? Like for me, it's about like my life and the impact of my life, right? And yeah. as someone who ran a free clinic her whole life and all of that and trained thousands of future physicians as a medical educator, it's like the ripple effect of one person stepping into their power, I think is very powerful. So, and again, that's available to everyone. It's not a unicorn, it's not just me. Um, so what, what I started as a coach, coach doing one-on-one one and sorry, my thing is sort of echoing. Do I sound normal to you? Me, you're good. Okay, good. Okay. Maybe it's just acting up. So sorry if you have to edit that. Um, <laughs> um, so, okay. Got distracted coming back. So I started so, as a one, yeah, I started as a one-on-one -on -one coach and then um, I got so many clients and busy that I then switched to group coaching. And then um, my, then we had larger and larger groups. And then I historically had brought people or had offered for people to go to a retreat in Bora Bora in the beautiful overwater bungalows in the Four Seasons. It was like a really powerful way to just remove yourself from your life to prove that you could and then dream with others, you know, who were also dreaming and thinking outside the box. And so I was feeling when I had been doing these big groups um, and they were very impactful and I was about to go into another sort of opening launch, you know, to enroll for my next program. And I was feeling 
you know, it was COVID and I was feeling that was the time of year that historically I would bring women to Bora Bora for like a, an incredible transformation. And so I was talking with my coach and I was saying, you know, I just, I want to bring something as transformational as removing people from their life, going and sitting in the world's most beautiful spaces and dreaming. And what would that be? And what would that look like? And so she helped me to just think of what would be fun. Like what in this life, if there are no limits would be fun. What would be the most fun? How can I make this fun? And I find that to be a really useful question. How can this be even more fun? How can I make this fun? Like, how can this be enjoyable and light and amazing? And so that is when just out of the blue, I had no right to think that I could. I started emailing people and their agents, right? Like unreachable people, people like, I mean, I had brought in my friends and colleagues who were incredible entrepreneurs. Um, including some people, you know, but people like Liz Gilbert and Martha Beck, I mean, like who thinks they can get Oprah's coach to come coach in their program. Right. But I just put out a bunch of asks, like if, if I could have anything I wanted in the world and I could bring anyone in the world to my people of the whole planet and all the women who are influencing and leading, who are the people I admire most and would love to bring to my people. And it would be like, the most amazing thing. And so that's how she ended up with us. And many, many others have ended up with us by me asking, how can this be even more amazing? How could this be even more powerful? Um, and so, I mean, I still hope that one day we'll be able to have a workshop with her in person because it was, it's just incredibly powerful. I think there's a, a lot of, you know, just allowing the magic because I think a lot of my people are very logical. We're very left brain. Mm -hmm. We're very linear. <laughs> and mm -hmm. um, I think one thing that coaching does is like we bring in basically like ancient wisdom, you know, Buddhism and every religion has all of this knowledge throughout human history and then stoicism and, you know, just all of these things. And then we put it in a very actionable concrete, applicable, kind of not formulaic, but implementable framework. And so we do that, but then we also allow for the magic, right? Like magic is sort of real, right? Like you can think of quantum physics, right? The things that make no sense that even the most expert people in the world can't really make sense of how something could be a wave and a particle depending on whether it's observed like that doesn't even make sense right like all of these things are mysteries of the universe and so I think we just have to allow for the mysteries of the universe and bringing her in was one of these first mysteries of the universe and then you know she did two workshops with us which were just all about for instance giving yourself permission if you could be a principal right and you could write yourself a hall pass and give yourself permission to what would that hall pass look like? Because you really are the person in your life who can give yourself that hall pass. What would you give yourself permission to? And I um, gave myself permission during that session to not answer all my emails. I was like, I don't have to answer all my emails. Like, why would I have to answer all my emails? Because I get a lot of inquiries, right? And so that was very freeing for me. And she talked about how she gave herself permission to not have to go to book signings. Like she had no idea 
that she didn't have to go to book signings because they were kind of exhausting, right? Lots and lots and lots of people. Um, and just so many things about what we can give ourselves permission not to do that we just haven't. And then she also talked to us about following our enchantment because it always knows the way, like what is that for each individual person? Um, there's just, I think people could probably listen to her podcast, listen to her book. Um, there's against each person, each individual, like these women who become thought leaders, there's a reason, right? Like there's some powerful <laughs> resonance, like Martha Beck's book, The Way of Integrity is, is so powerful too. And we had her in and she did some workshops and it's really like, follow the hot tracks. Like she used to do like rhino following in Africa or something. And so when you're, when you're looking for your path, you follow the tracks. And if, if all of a sudden you realize you're off track, you just go back to where it was warm and you find yourself getting warmer and getting colder and getting warmer and getting colder and like no judgment. You're just trying to follow what's integrity for you. And the distress is when you're off your own course of integrity and trying to go along with what society expects of you because each one of us has our own internal calling and desires and uniqueness and some of us are artists and some of us are cookie bakers as you said and some of us are love naps and some of us love swimming pools and so, or whatever those things are various callings and so I think it's been really really powerful and for people who of course most people aren't going to be inviting thought leaders into their coaching program. But what I find also incredibly powerful, I just put together a book list, a reading list for my people. And I was like, wow, like there's so much good information out there, even just on audiobooks, right. Or regular books. Like I look, I looked at the list that I made and I was like, I'm a personal development junkie, <laughs> but there's so it's like, put that stuff in your ears and it starts to become your own internal dialogue as opposed to the default, you know, assumptions of our culture that become our internal dialogue. It's like put some women in particular, but you know, any human beings who are thinking outside the box and leading and are examples for you and whose words and wisdom you would like to be some of your guiding light and become your own internal dialogue to replace some of those things about the shoulds and everything. It's really very powerful. So for anyone listening to your podcast who isn't investing in coaching programs or isn't ready yet, like really it's about the input. So keep listening to this podcast, listen to some audiobooks that you find are incredibly helpful. Like whatever really resonates with you, more of that. Just put more of that because we're counteracting decades of other not helpful imprinting and indoctrination. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I, I feel like Martha Beck was my first life coach because I read, I think steering by star, starlight or follow your North star. I can't remember. Yeah. Follow your North star. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of them I, I read first and I was in my, early 20s and I was in teacher's college and I decided to drop out of teacher's college mm. partially based on doing the exercises yes in and I was like you know talking to my family and they're all like it's a safety net you know like they right they wanted me to finish even if I wasn't gonna teach and 
from from a kind-hearted place, right? Like they just wanted me to have a quote-unquote fallback plan or whatever. But it was like I was like, well, my life coach said, <laughs> <And laughs> right? Reading the book and doing the exercises, and I was like, oh, this is not sparking joy, or this is not the hot tracks, or this mm. does not feel enchanting. Yes. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and it ended up I I dropped out and got an amazing job at a nonprofit and ended up you know doing teaching re- education related work before my cohort even graduated and so it, oh. it, just, like, mm-hmm. it was one of those things where it was following that I just was like I don't feel good spending that you know supporting mm-hmm. this university that was teaching in a way there was there was racism and homophobia and some of the faculty and you know it was like a whole there's many reasons that I ended up mm-hmm. leaving. She was part of, she was, um, she was my life coach. Yeah. And what's so fascinating is that like, she clearly won't know that she was your life right. coach. Right. But it's like people, women in particular, but any human who speaks up and speaks their voice, they will never, ever, ever know the impact. Even if you're just speaking in your own job or family or friend community but certainly if you have a podcast like you do it's like you can never ever ever measure the impact that you have I mean Martha was Brooks coach right who who trained me and like it's just it there's so much interconnectedness like in a way there are no new ideas but it's those who stand up and speak their truth and we just see them hear them and it can resonate in a way, right? Through different individuals, it resonates in a way that lands with some of us, right? Some of us will love her and some of us will be like, that woman is not for me. And that's right. okay. That's why we need so many of us because we need people who look different, are different, live differently. And um, yeah, again, I just think that's so important that you're like, yeah, she was my life coach. And first of all, because people have this connotation about life coach, right? That it's, I don't know, somehow not as valid. She has a PhD from Harvard, right? And was like, (laughs) and this was her professional job. Like she's a highly respected person. And so it's hard to question someone who has a PhD in this and has been employed doing this and then decides to step out to do it in a way that's more um, on her own terms. One thing that she said that was really valuable to me is, she heard us actually talking about how life was 50-50, like half good and half bad. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she, yeah. interestingly, she had one session with us, with us, which was three hours. And then she came back the next week and spent another three hours with us. And she's like, I've been thinking about you, women physicians, because you are always like, you're, again, the things that you choose to do with your bodies and like, you stay up all night long, you come into work when you have migraines and when you're having miscarriages or when you have like, no matter what you guys are just continuing to go, go, go. And then you're telling yourself life is 50, 50. And she said, I've been thinking, she's like, I don't do anything. That's not plus eight on a scale of 10. She's like, if it's not plus eight, I'm not doing it. She's like this. I, she's like, I would like to extend an invitation to you to ask yourself, is this a plus eight? And if it's not, why are you choosing it? And she said, for instance, like being here with you ladies, 
this is obviously a plus eight with me because I'm thrilled to be here. I can't, I'm so happy to have an impact on your lives, especially during a pandemic when you're in so much distress. She's like, if it was like a five or a six, I wouldn't be here. And so yeah. that again, so much like just these spontaneous things that people say when you spend time immersed with people. And it doesn't have to be someone that, you know, is like recognizable. It's just people doing this same work because you hear their words and then you can adapt a sentence, even just one sentence, like do only things that are plus eight. Like that's something I'm always going to remember. You know, there's so many of these sentences that again, become part of my own internal dialogue that I find so helpful by being immersed constantly in a coaching community and a personal development community and with podcasts and um, audiobooks and all of this stuff. It's like you really hang on to those sentences and it can change everything. Like the fact that I think I could put anything I want in the R line, the results line, changed my life. And the fact that discomfort is the currency to my dream, changed my life. The fact that I can do only plus eight if I want to, changed my life right? The fact that I can write myself a permission slip to stop doing anything I want. And anytime someone pushes back, I just hold up in my mind mentally, my permission slip from the principal. Like, no, I have a permission slip. I don't have to do that. Right. So it's just fascinating to think how much control and we, I know I'm just talking about all these other people and special guests, but it's like, they become part of me. Right. And, and even just from the books or from the interactions. Um, we had Edith Egger, who is a Holocaust survivor. And oh. it's, in, uh, it's incredibly powerful. Her book she wrote when she was around 90 years old, which was <laughs> relatively recently. Um, and her book is called The Choice. And, you know, she was on Oprah and all of this stuff. And she talks about how there's always a choice. And even when she was really literally on the brink of death in Auschwitz, that mm -hmm. she had the choice between cannibalism and eating grass. And then when she was had to eat grass, she chose this blade or that blade. And she felt that for herself, the importance of always knowing she had a choice, no matter what, was one of the most important things to her. And she went on to become a PhD psychologist and she works with people with trauma and PTSD. She lives in San Diego and La Jolla near where I am from. And I can't wait to see her in person when COVID is over. <laughs> but um, the fact that I, I've also internalized, there is always a choice. And I encourage all your readers or listeners to go listen to her book for sure. Um, there's always a choice, always, even when you feel so trapped. And she says that the biggest prison is not Auschwitz or the concentration camp. It is your mind and that you always had the key. It was in your pocket the whole time. No one told you it was there. I'm like, like, it's just, it just hits, right? When someone like her says that it just hits home. It's the key was in our pocket the whole time and the prison was our mind. So I think for your people, right? Like this is just powerful, it's powerful stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I wanna maybe um, talk a little bit Man, we could talk forever. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm known for that, by the way. I, my calls are always very long. <laughs> I'm very passionate about this work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I, part of my story is, so I, I dropped out of teacher's college, thanks to Martha Beck, and then 
I uh, got this amazing job, but then I ended up burning out about a year into, I was working with marginalized youth and, you know, there are a number of factors happening. And so I quit my job and moved to an ashram for two years. That was kind of my first big step on after Martha Beck mm-hmm. on my healing journey. And, um, and so we, at the ashram, we studied the mind and the power of thoughts and the power of speech. And then it was interesting when I found Brooke Castillo's podcast that it's almost like she takes that, but then she's like, get scientific with it, right? Formulaic, I think, is one of the things. Like, there's a formula that you can use to implement that. And you're absolutely right. Yes, absolutely right. dig into I can put anything in the R line because I think my people don't know what that means so Mm. can you explain the model and the R line and how it how it works so that if they you know want to start changing some of the results in their lives yes it starts with radical responsibility like some people have the idea it's gaslighting right to say that you are responsible because we have to remember we live in a society right? That is a certain way and it has certain implicit biases and certain not yeah. implicit biases and all of these things. But it ta- it's, it starts with taking radical responsibility for our results, right? Like whatever we have in our life right now, we have some responsibility for what that is, right? And we have some power over what that is. And so to start with, I'll say, um, you know, if you're going to talk about the model, there's really like, what are the facts or the circumstances? And they have to be very neutral. And everyone in the whole entire world has to agree on them. Like if you're in a court of law, the judge and the jury and the prosecutor and the defender has to agree that this is exhibit A, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, the prosecutor has one opinion, the defender has one opinion, but we're not talking opinions. So like, for instance, you could say like, money in the bank, however much money in the bank you have, it's just a fact that's exhibit A, This is the fact, right? Whatever the fact is, you get to the fact with no opinions, no adjectives, no modifiers, no opinions, something that's a fact. Like it's not, it's not, I'm broke. It's no thousand (laughs) dollars in the bank or negative 20,000 or whatever. Because because it's interesting that those words I'm broke to one person might be. Yes. $50,000 in the bank and then someone else it's going to be a total. I work with women physicians. And so, you know, they, unless they're not working, right, typically have multiple six figure incomes. And many of them have the idea that they are broke. And I'm like, that is crazy. (laughs) But it's their perception, right? Um, So, and many of them actually, though, also are multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt because of their educational loans. And so, like, if you have debt, you just put that, that's the circumstance. That's the fact. I have a hundred thousand dollars in debt. That's a fact. So we can think what and feel whatever we want about that fact. Right. And so in terms of the fact, what, like what goes in the fact part, I find it useful to use again, like sort of when you think about Byron Katie and Martha Beck and all of these thought leaders, you know, there's this idea of there's our business, (laughs) like things that we can control. There's other people's business, things that we can't control, like how other people behave, right? What they do. And then there's the universe's business, like God's business or whatever 
stuff that is not our control, anyone else's control, it just is. For instance, you could argue like the fact that COVID exists, right? right. Like, no, I didn't create that. You didn't create that. No matter what anybody's opinion is on it, it exists. So you could put COVID-19 in the fact line, right? So that's the universe's business. So the facts are often things we don't control. We just don't control them. They just are the things, right? And so we look at those things. We put them as the circumstance. The model is typically outlined as CTFAR, which is the C stands for circumstance. And then there's, you know, what do we think about that? What's our default? Like, what do we think about our debt? Our debt. That would be, I'm broke. That would go. I'm broke. Yeah. Or, or you could think same exact fact. You could also think no big deal. Or you could think, cause like when people buy a house, as an example, people have like five, yeah, Yeah. they're $500,000 in debt. And they're like, I own a home, right? Like that's the, I own my own home. They're so, and their feeling is proud, but the facts could be the same about the debt. But if it's credit card debt, we have different opinions. If it's student loan debt, we have different opinions. And so there's just like, there's the fact, and then there's your narrative, your beliefs, your perspective, and that narrative, the thoughts that you have, what we're always, our brains are always looking to prove ourselves right, right? We have a confirmation bias that is neurologic and advantageous in our brain. We want to prove ourselves right. We have to stay in integrity with what we believe. And so that's why you'll have two different, completely different factions about politics. Right. Right. The reds think they're right. The lefts think they're right because they keep finding evidence for how they're right. COVID-19 naysayers versus, you know, and anti-vaxxers versus pro-vaxxers. We keep finding the evidence for what we think is right. And so that's why what you think about it, about that fact, is so important because you'll keep finding evidence to prove yourself right. That's just the way the brain works. So we look at what our default thoughts are, like I'm Mm -hmm. broke. Then we look at how does that make you feel? Like, how do you think someone who thinks I'm broke would feel? Uh, maybe anxious. Yeah. Or... Yeah. yeah. So if they're feeling stressed, yeah, anxious or stressed. So we'll say, we'll leave anxious because that was your first one. So their circumstances say $100,000 in debt. Thought, mm-hmm. I'm broke. Feeling mm-hmm. anxious. And then your feelings drive your actions. So when you're mm-hmm. feeling anxious, what do you do? You like worry, you obsess, you yeah. ruminate. Maybe think about how to overcome, like you like half start, you know, like you're like, oh, I could do this. And then, yes. oh, it didn't work. Oh, I'll do, this. oh, I'll become a lift driver on the time. And you like set that all up and do two shifts. Yes. But, then, but then that's not enough money or, you know, like. Yeah. So we like half start looking at ways. Yes, frantic actions. Yes, frantic, non-helpful in the long run actions, right? And a lot of worry, and we say worry pretends to be necessary because it's not really necessary. 99% of what we worry about never comes true. So we're anxious, we do all this ineffective action. And then the result is, it's always reflective of your thought. So the result is you stay broke, right? If your thought is I'm broke, you stay broke. As opposed to, so you just get to know what your current results are. And then one of, so that's incredibly powerful. And you can keep going over and over and deeper and deeper and layers in that. And then one of the things I find is really helpful is, as you said, this whole, you can put anything you want in the results line, the R line, which is the bottom one, right? It's 
Thoughts create feelings, feelings drive actions, actions create results. And so you can work backwards. What result do you want to have? And you can, then you put that, okay, what result do you want? And so for instance, like I had put, I wanted to earn a hundred thousand dollars as a coach. And then I put, I wanted to earn a million dollars as a coach. And then I put, I wanted to earn multiple million dollars as a coach. And so I put whatever I want there. And then what I do is I work up and I skip the actions for a minute because it's the actions, because we started with results and you go up. So that's, you're going to have a whole bunch of actions that get you to that result, but you can't know the actions until you have the results. So you have to be open to the, how is going to reveal itself like magic over time. You have to make plans, but the universe is going to intervene. And it's like the whole Mike Tyson quote. That's like, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Right. So if you make a plan to make a hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars, you're going to get punched in the face a lot. And so you have to be open to, it's called the tyranny of how, when you try to aim for the A line. So then you skip over the A line and you go up and you go, okay, how would I have to feel to create this result? I would have to feel determined. I would have to feel committed. I would have to feel whatever. And then you find thoughts that make you feel that like, say your R line you wanted was to be out of debt. Mm -hmm. then you would be like, okay, well, I would be committed or determined to be out of debt. And then your thought that you can cultivate is like, there's so many ways to take care of this. Or it's possible that, like I often do maybe just maybe, or it's possible, like it's possible my debt is not big of a deal. Or it's possible that one day I'll look back on this and realize I didn't have to worry. Or I can figure yeah. this out is often a helpful one. Like I can totally figure this out or it's no big deal. Or when I die, my debt goes away. <laughs> like stop stressing about it or, you know, whatever the thoughts are that help you to feel more of the feeling. And you can sort of look at it also, instead of starting with the R line, you can also, the places that I start are the R line or the F line, F line is feelings. Everything in the whole world that we do is so that we can feel a certain way. Everything everything. That's the way the human brain works. And so it can be most helpful to go with, what do I want to feel? Right? Like I'd rather feel, and oftentimes we have to start with like less stressed, less anxious. And so if we're like 10 out of 10 anxious, I would rather feel eight out of 10 or five out of 10 or three out of 10 anxious. And then eventually we can feel sort of neutral and acceptance. That's like a goal. And then eventually we can feel like, again, determined, committed, relieved, whatever it is. And then you just find thoughts working with a coach, (laughs) but you can do some self-coaching too. Very powerful tool to be like, well, what would help me feel a tiny bit less stressed about this? You could, what, and then you search for slots. Lots of people have debt, right? Debt is not a moral issue, right? Debt doesn't define me. My future is still unwritten. Like whatever those things are, you just look for those things until you find things that are believable. And I kind of speaking of the eight out of 10 with Martha Beck, I feel like you have to find something that feels like eight out of 10 believable. It might not be like 10 out of 10 believable, but you can't go something that's like, I'm a badass and you don't think you're a badass. You have to find something that feels true. So anyway, that's sort of like a quick (laughs) um, debrief on like how you use thought work and feeling work too. Feelings are really, really important. to observe and then you have to allow all the feelings because you're a human. So like there is no feeling you weren't designed to feel. Allow yourself to be human 
don't judge all the feelings, allow the full rainbow of the feelings. And when you're ready, so accept all of them where they are, move yourself towards those ones that you want and cultivate them on purpose. Like me, this past fall was kind of heavy. You would think, how could running a multi-million dollar business feel heavy? But it's like, it's like new level, new devil, a whole new set of problems that come up that didn't show up when I was a one-on-one coach, right? So mm-hmm. I have decided on purpose because I was like wallowing in the heavy mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm in master coach training and people were pointing out how I was wallowing in the heavy and creating the heavy and <laughs> didn't have to be so heavy. And so I'm purposely 2022 cultivating light on purpose. This is my feeling, my filter through which I am filtering every single decision. If it doesn't feel light, I'm not doing it. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I could talk to you forever, but (laughs) (laughs) sometimes people have to put me on like a two-part series. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to start to uh, wrap things up. So the, the, the one other thing I wanted to talk to you about is the work you're doing, you are part of creating a foundation. I think one of the many reasons I wanted to have Sunny on is because you're an example of what's possible when good-hearted, kind-hearted people have a lot of wealth and, and power and influence in the ways that you have those things. So I wanted to talk to you about the work you're doing with Henrietta Lacks's descendants. So I'll let you. Thank you for asking that. Um, So there, I, as I mentioned, I'm always like referring to books and other wisdom. Mm -hmm. And so there's a book called the soul of money that I think Mm -hmm. is really helpful. And, you know, I think that our dollars, like money is not bad. Money is a tool and you put it in the hands of people that you, that you want having more power in the world, right? Women, minorities, those marginalized, like we want more money in the hands of those who have been systematically mm, marginalized or sort of held back, oppressed, et cetera. Like we need more money in the hands of people who want to do good things in the world. And as I said, like, I've always been mission driven. I worked in a nonprofit for my whole career. And so business is not like capitalism is not the devil. (laughs) Business is a force for good, right? It is a force for good. It is a particularly small business, but business is one of the most impactful things that you can do because you can create whatever you want in your mind and go make it real. That's the magic of entrepreneurs and coaching and all of this. So I had the idea, right, that I was going to originally, like I knew that I wanted to have a business, not a nonprofit, because I spent my whole career in nonprofit, that created dollars that could also fund nonprofit efforts, right? Not to have the whole thing be nonprofit, but they could funnel into various nonprofit efforts. And so um, I also thought it was important to pay where in my field to pay physicians, a physician salary to coach physicians, right? So I have paid seven figures to other women physicians to support other women physicians 
because I think it's important to put our money where our mouth is. And the flow of money is very important, right? It's not meant to be necessarily hoarded. It's meant to, every dollar is a vote for what you believe in, in the world. And so if you want to vote for a more just world, you put your dollars and you put your money where your mouth is. And so, um, as I mentioned, I'm always inviting people into my program that I feel are impactful and that I want to get to know their lives, their story, how they talk, how they live. And so we invited the family of Henrietta Lacks and to anybody who's listening to your program who doesn't know who Henrietta Lacks is. Um, she was a black woman in the 50s who uh, was at Johns Hopkins and she had cervical cancer. She was in her 30s and she was a mother and they biopsied her cells just as a traditional part of di diagnosing cervical cancer. And it turned out that her cells did something that no other cells had ever done before. And they became immortal cell lines. They are still used today all around the world in every university, in every lab for basically every medical advancement that there has been since then. And it was her biopsies of her cells and her the, the transition of her cells into basically a commercial product that are used for the scientific advancement was done without her knowledge or consent and without her family's knowledge or consent. And there has been no financial remuneration to her family for this, um, despite again, her being in basically every lab, every, every, nobody even knew that HeLa, they call them HeLa cells. Nobody even knew HeLa was a person. Like I did research on HeLa cells and I didn't know it was a person until Rebecca Skloot, who's an author, kind of revealed the story. Um, and it was very powerful, meaningful book. And Oprah was in the movie, all of this stuff. So I invited her, because as I mentioned, um, social justice has always been one of my issues. So I invited her family into my coaching program and they talked to us very meaningfully about their lived experience. And they could have a lot of resentment, right? But they are yeah. choosing to have, speaking of narrative, right? They're choosing to have a narrative that they speak her legacy, right? And um, so one of her um, great granddaughters was with us and she's a nurse. And she said that she has, um, she was talking about how she has educational debt and, um, you know, how reparations have not been made and financial remuneration has not been made to their family. We asked her. And so we said, well, and she was talking about the distress, right, of having debt and her inability to continue to, or the limitations of pursuing her master's degree in nursing. So mm -hmm. we said, well, how much is your debt? And she told us, and we said, we'll take care of it. Just like on that call, it was Saturday, it was Juneteenth coincidentally and I and she's like are you kidding and we're like no of course we will we'll take care of it because we run a business and we have funds and we have dollars and we will take care of it and so that was Saturday and on Monday we paid off her debt and she was so so grateful and then we worked with her and we said this is just the beginning right this is obviously the universal lining so that women physicians like all of medicine has benefited so, so much. There have been Nobel prizes and like a hundred thousand articles using these cells. And so all of humanity and all of humankind has benefited from this. And so it's the least that we could do. We don't want to wait for anyone else to do the right thing because we only control ourselves. We're going to take action where we can. So we talked with her, with their family. We talked with the author. We talked with the foundation 
And that's how this came to be that we said, how can we help you? We want to help you to build generational wealth. We want to help right the wrongs. We can't do all the reparations, of course, but we just want to take some step in the right direction and get started. And what they felt would be the most useful for their family would be to eradicate and eliminate all of the family's educational debt. And so we took that on ourselves. And at this moment, we have, um, the goal is 600,000 and we have raised (laughs) $270,000. Two hundred and seventy. It's actually two hundred seventy-one thousand dollars in this moment, and so um, again, some of it is our business money, and some of it is our platform using our voices and engaging a network of people to contribute. And so we are about halfway there. And I think, I mean, what's incredible is most donations. So again, I said two hundred seventy thousand dollars most donations are like a hundred dollars and under like some people have given five dollars you know and some people have given a thousand dollars and some have given ten thousand and some given much more but most of the donations are small ish right and and even if you donated a dollar then on the website you get to leave a note to the family and so Rebecca Skloot the author was reading all of the words from people who have donated to the family and they were tearful and so moved that hundreds of people, including women physicians and then including non-women physicians, right? Who have been part of the movement as well, that hundreds of people are recognizing and acknowledging with their words, the gratitude that they have for this social and racial and financial injustice that is reflective of things like Tuskegee and, you know, just um, people who've been a part of medical research without their consent, particularly of minority groups. And so that's what we're doing. And again, I think it's that the, the idea of the soul of money and that you, the money flows where your values are and you get to speak your voice and Um, I really cannot wait to have this sort of audacious goal be met. And again, it's not even that anyone has to donate any particular amount of money. It's even sharing with someone, even talking to your daughter about what this is and what this means. Because so many people don't know the story of Henrietta Lacks. Like there would be the first vaccine that was made with her um, cells, interestingly, was polio. And we eradicated polio from the planet because of her. And her family reflected with us that they think that purposely they did not say that it was a black woman's cells because it was the 50s. And they... People may have refused the polio vaccine. Like, are you even like just wrapping your mind around all the facets of this is so important, so meaningful. And these are real human beings who are still alive, right? Because she was in her thirties when this happened. And so her, like, you know, her children and family members are still alive and here to tell her story. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Wow. So beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> doing that work and you know you 
said a couple times, you can put anything you want in the R line. And sometimes you put a multi-million dollar business and sometimes you put $600,000 for this cause that I care about. And yeah, I think it's just such a beautiful example of the, the importance of this work and yeah. the, you know, one of, one of, I feel like I have so many missions, but one of my missions is getting more money in the hands of good hearted, yes. ethical, ethical, preach, folks. preach. Because, you know, I definitely was taught somewhere somehow that that was, that I should reject money. And, you know, it's been a, a coming to terms with like, why, <laughs> you know, yeah. money, it can, you know, it's neutral. It can be used for horrible things if you want to. And it can be a powerful tool to, you know, do the work you're doing or support a political candidate that is going to mm -hmm. put in a policy or, you know, whatever your passion is for change, that that it can go towards that. So, Amen. so amazing. So good to have you on. Um, I was trying to write down, I'll write down all the books and so we can link everything. Ah, oh, I'll add another one based on what you were just saying is um, Rachel Rogers, We Should All Be Billionaires. Oh, that's such for a sure, for sure. That is about putting money in the hands of people who stand for social justice. And yeah. I actually paid to be in her seven figure mastermind. <laughs> but um, I read her book before that, like you put again, put money where your mouth is, like stand for what you stand for. And uh, all of these things, I mean, your readers are going to, or your listeners are going to have all these books they have to listen to, but they're, they're all very, really powerful. There's nothing dirty about money. Money creates change. And I can say from my nonprofit world, mm -hmm. I mean, we provided free, completely free medical care to people with no access to care. And the mm -hmm. only reason that clinic was free was because of other people's money, right? right. Donors, funders, grants, like yeah. it takes money to do good in the world. So business is to serve and to earn and the service is both within the business and outside of the business. So money is needed. There is no free lunch, right? Yeah. So let's um, recognize that as women and step into our power. And honestly, we have been socialized to believe many things about money and women couldn't even have their own money or their own bank accounts or their own land or their own credit cards or their own mortgages for most of history. We were property, et cetera. We are paid less. Usually on average, we work like three months a year for free, for free, because we tend to earn like 75% of what a white male does in the same position, no matter the position. So yeah, there's just a lot to be done there. Money is good and go read those books that sold money and we should all be millionaires that will teach people those things and they will embrace their women stepping up and knowing their worth and asking for their worth and adding tax. Every woman who does that, it raises all women. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I'll put links to you in case we have any physicians <laughs> listening. That's not my core audience, but there might be, you know, a few out there. So Sunny also has a podcast, Empowering Women's Physician. She has a, a coaching program, but you do have to be a physician 
to join. So <laughs> exactly. So send me all your physician friends. It's totally fine. And we promise to take very, very good care of them. And if not, I am all about all humans um, benefiting and decreasing human suffering. And we just use those tools for this particular group of people because those are my people, but it's all the same work. <laughs> And people can, I've listened to some, not all of your podcasts, but some of them because it applies so much of it. You're a high achieving woman. Yeah. (laughs) And you know what I find is that people who are not physicians who listen to my podcast, really what I hear most from them is physicians are people too. Like I literally didn't realize because we think, oh, they make a lot of money and they're so smart and they work so hard and they have everything. And then they listen and they're like, they're just as distressed as the rest of us. They're just as human as the rest of us. We are. We're all just human. All of us, no matter what we do, no matter who we are. So thank you for the beautiful, beautiful invitation. It was amazing to come talk to you. And I can't wait to see you again. Yeah. We'll, we'll do this again sometime. And yeah, thank you so much. Bye, everybody. If you resonated with this episode, I want to offer you a free private one-hour consultation with me. Through doing the deep inner work, my clients have been able to do things like quit the job they hate and land a job they love, or get their first paying clients in their dream business, and if they're a little bit further down the road, double their revenue. They've been able to fall in love and go to bed each night feeling satisfied and accomplished. In the consultation, we'll talk about what your dream looks like, what's getting in the way, and whether working together can help. Email me at brin at brinbamber.com to book. Okay. Did you love that episode? Did you love everything we talked about? If you did and you want to learn advanced somatic techniques to use with your clients that come from an intersectional feminist lens, this is at least the only somatic certification that I know of that specifically has a component of diversity, equity, inclusion-informed somatics, um, trauma-informed somatics. So you're using these tools in the most helpful way possible for all of your clients. The advanced somatic certification is for you. It's six months. It's specifically for coaches, therapists, healers, EFT, whatever you do, (laughs) Um, if you want to add these advanced somatic tools to your toolkit, you have to check it out. You can learn more at brinbamber.com. Somatics is the most life-changing thing I have ever done, um, applying these tools to my life. So I am obsessed. I want to get them into your hands. I want to get them to your clients because people need the shit. People need to heal. And these are some pretty deep, profound tools. So brinbamber.com to learn more. Okay. 
Talk to you next time. Bye.